This is the Dialed Health Podcast. It's your time to start moving forward. What's up, Dialed fam? Happy Wednesday and welcome to the Dialed Health Podcast. My name is Derek Teal. I'm the owner and head coach here at dialedhealth.com. And today we're talking about riding nutrition versus normal nutrition. We're going to compare the two because honestly, they're pretty contradicting and it can be very confusing when you try and take healthy eating habits that you'd implement in day-to-day eating, you know, when you aren't riding and you try and put those on the bike and they don't really work. You end up underfed, underfueled, not feeling strong and vice versa. If you ate like you did on the bike, off the bike with extra carbs, extra sodium, you would also feel gross or you'd put on weight that you don't want to. So why is it that you have to eat so differently and what are the differences between the two? How do you control that and make sure that you are managing the weight that you want, maybe even being in a body fat deficit while you fuel your workouts? Because it's a term we hear all the time, fuel your workouts, stay carved up, keep the glycogen stores topped off. Like, how do you do that when you're trying to actually lose weight? These are all questions that we answer on this episode, which I'm so excited about because I get this question a ton. We have done a few deep dives into nutrition, and this seems to be the reoccurring thing that even when people understand macronutrients a little bit, or they learn how to read labels, or they know they need carbs during workouts, they still have a hard time kind of going from their normal diet to fueling the work and then back into their normal diet. Now, I give you very, very clear examples from my food diary, actually, on a day where I don't ride versus a day that I do ride. And just so that you know, the days I don't ride are what I consider a normal nutrition day. These are also days that I do strength train because my rest day and my strength training calories typically are very close to each other, which I'll get to later in the episode. Uh, but the biggest thing is that riding burns a ton of calories. You learn, you use a lot of carbohydrates and because of the demands you're putting on your body, you have to significantly change your diet, your macro percentages, your food timing and do that consistently. But you can is the, like the big thing I want to say is that you can do it. You can have control over it. And I don't bring up those points to overwhelm you. If anything, I want you to be excited because I feel very, very confident in this process and I did my best to give you as much clarity as possible. Now, with that being said, doing these episodes solo can honestly be very difficult. And this is my 90th episode. I would say that at least 75 of them have been solo, (laughs) uh, which has been a very cool experience. It's helped me with my speaking a ton, organizing thoughts, uh, my own philosophy on certain ideas. Like I've honestly learned a ton through this process. And, but what I've also learned is that it can be very difficult to direct a conversation while you're also trying to provide the information. Now, I made a real effort at it last week on the Everesting podcast, describing the day to do that, but I still wasn't honestly happy with how it turned out, just between us. And I was talking to my buddy Jonathan Lee about it, and he had listened to the episode. He's very experienced with podcasting, and he brought up the point that, you know, if I wasn't happy about the clarity, you could just have someone interview you. And there's a good chance you'll get in more of the information and not be as worried about directing the conversation. Like there's not as much going on in your head. You could focus a little bit more and answer with that clarity. So that's something that I, <laughs> I kind of wish I maybe would have done for this episode. Um, so since I didn't have that prepared, I broke it down into smaller chunks. And I think that did help with the flow of the episode quite a bit, just to really make sure that you walk away from each segment 
feeling like you got the information you needed and feeling like you actually have that clarity. So I hope it feels better from your position. Feel free to give me any feedback uh, if you feel any differently, but I really appreciate you listening to the episodes, you guys. It is insane the impact that these have had on people's lives in the Dowd fam uh, and beyond. So uh, after the episode, by the way, we are going to talk about my weekly thoughts and it's a lot of cool stuff. Very on brand. We're talking about bikes, me riding the new Epic. I'm going to compare it to the Epic Evo. Uh, family quick trip I had in Tahoe and kind of the dynamic of like my riding time versus free time and family time because it's very hard to balance. Uh, also, how I've been recovering from the Everesting ride and really my inspiration for the episode. So those are all at the end of it. And of course, we're going to start with a really cool announcement before we jump into the bulk of the episode. The big announcement this week is the DH Vert Challenge video premiere. We're going to do an in-person premiere at the Dowd Health Studio next Wednesday, the 22nd at 6.30 p.m. If you are local, I'm inviting you to come. Now, please just do me a favor and let me know you're going to be there. We want to make sure that we have enough chairs for everyone. We want to make sure we have some drinks and just that everyone's comfortable and that we can have a good time enjoying this video together. I'm expecting it to be about 45 minutes long. Hopefully, we can start right on time at 6.30. So come a little bit early, grab a drink, grab a seat, and we can just kind of take this in together because the actual vert challenge is starting the following weekend. It starts Friday the 24th officially, and the goal of dropping it at this time is purely to inspire you to go tackle the biggest ride ever. Now, for that same reason, we are launching it on YouTube on Friday the 24th, most likely at midnight but I haven't confirmed that with Brady yet. I still need to talk to him about some of those logistics. Not that there's many, but I want to make sure we're all lined up. Just plan on watching it next Friday, the 24th. I can't wait for you guys to see this. I have a intro that I just launched on, or I posted to Instagram, so you can see kind of the first 45 seconds and just get the vibe. And when you watch it, it's rad. And of course, I know I'm biased, but even with the expectations I have for this thing, I saw it and I was like, yes, that is it. I actually showed my wife and she said she's going to start tearing up. So, you know, I don't want to set the bar too high, but I doubt that you'll walk away from this thing uh, feeling like you wasted your time. If anything, come and have some drinks. Just make sure you have a safe drive home and I will see you guys next Wednesday. So again, if you want to come and watch this thing before it's officially released online and you're local and able to come to the studio next Wednesday, the 22nd at 6.30 p.m., please let me know ahead of time. Just get out uh, a message to me on Instagram through DMs or shoot me an email or something like that just to give me an idea of what this headcount's going to be like. But either way, I think it's going to be a blast. And if you want to know more information, go and check my post today on Instagram. It actually shows that intro and it also gives you more information about the premiere and the details and then just stay posted to my story because I'll make sure that I'll have the latest information on that all the way leading up to the night. Now let's get back to the episode. We're officially starting our conversation on riding nutrition versus normal nutrition. But I wanted to give you the heads up that if there's something in particular you want me to dive deeper into that I don't cover on this episode, there's a good chance I covered it on episode number 67 of the podcast, which is called The Perfect Cycling Diet. That episode in particular gives you a similar 
breakdown of how nutrition on and off the bike works, but it goes deeper onto the application. So if you're with someone who really wants to go through this process and start it yourself, which hopefully you have if you have not, then go check out that episode. It also links you to a blog post that's really resourceful on the website. It'll help you calculate your, your uh, total calories depending on your goal, your macro numbers, and there's just further information there. You could also reach out to me too if that doesn't answer your question. I'd be happy to help you through the process because when this clicks for people, you can never look at food the same. I know the first time I food tracked, it was so eye-opening and not in a paranoia sort of way or where like you can't enjoy food the same way anymore. Uh, well, that does happen a little bit, I'll be honest. <laughs> you just, you have more uh, real knowledge into what the food is doing for your body. And when you connect that to the intuitive side of eating, which is how you feel, what you like, kind of finding the balance of what's worth it and what is not worth it, you are so much more accurate after having the knowledge of food tracking. And I'll, I should probably tell you too that when you start food tracking, it's not something that you need to do indefinitely. Typically, I'll food track for a couple months out of the entire year, honestly, and do a couple check-ins here and there. Typically, I'll find myself you know, with too large of portion size or just eating like 500 calories too much, or maybe I'm just getting lax with my desserts and my alcohol or whatever it may be, even just the nibbling around meals that isn't as intentional. And those are the things you gotta check up if you're trying to, I'll just be honest, perform at your best or even be the happiest version of yourself because I know also how tormenting food can be. Now, with that disclaimer aside, I want you to know that at the end of this episode, I will tell you what the other option is if food tracking is not for you because I do understand it, it, diet is not a one-size-fits-all thing at all. And for that reason, I want to give you an idea of sort of what my eating philosophy is before we go into the specific numbers and differences between like a normal eating day and ride nutrition and how all that works. Because I looked back at my uh, food diary on MyFitnessPal and I have like very specific numbers and examples for you guys. So there should not be too many questions after this. And hopefully you can get a really, really good idea of me just eating real foods and I don't know, you can apply this sucker. Uh, that's what I'm so excited about. So let's just talk about diet quality in general. Now, when I think, well, okay, let me tell you. There's a couple philosophies I really enjoy personally. Only one of them I kind of follow. I respect both, I kind of just follow one. I think one's more realistic. Now, the one I really like, I like the idea of it, and I think there's a lot of truth behind it, but I don't think it's for me, is I forgot who said it, but I heard this from a, po a podcast I listened to, and this guy was incredible, but he said, everything you eat is either fighting cancer or feeding it. And that really stuck with me. He has a very interesting story about carrying around this like Snickers bar for a year and always telling himself he can have it whenever he wants, but never eating it. And basically the guy who said this never eats low quality food. Like he just will choose not to eat and he'll do what he would consider like a fast and at least get the benefits from fasting because he still thinks that outweighs the poor nutrition going into your body. Now, that is very extreme. I respect it, I love it. Like The gnarliness behind it is rad. I, I like the mentality, but I really don't find myself there yet. And I don't know if I ever want to go that far personally. I don't know if it's completely necessary or if I'm just interested enough to find out, to be honest. Um, what I really, have stuck to in the last couple years and has clicked with me through losing body fat, fueling performance, everything that we're talking about is really the idea that 
there is no not one food that is either healthy or unhealthy now i i think when you hear that it's like okay that's kind of dumb you know ben and jerry's ice cream is probably unhealthy a perfect avocado is very healthy and that is true i understand that an oreo is not healthy by any means but when you look at the big picture is that food whether the specific item is unhealthy or healthy you know quote unquote does it serve the overall purpose and goal of what you're trying to do now if you're someone who really eats let's just say 90 10 like everyone loves to throw out 90 10 80 20 of course, a lot of these people are, are people who don't track, and I promise you, if you think you're eating 80-20, you're not. <laughs> you, are, you are probably not. Or you're doing what I used to do, and you eat very high-quality, very nutritious food, and you just eat way too much of it. Or uh, one thing I still have a tendency to do, which is eat absolutely perfect, and then end the day with a bunch of low-quality junk, that kind of also kills your, your goals as well. So I've been on both sides of that because... High quality foods can also be very high calorie and lead to a lack of performance or lack of performing at your best. If you're putting on excess body fat, you're heavier than you want to be. You could feel sluggish. Uh, you're, you could just be a little bit backed up and kind of need sort of a detox with your uh, system a little bit. Like I'll, I always tell my wife, and I'm sure she doesn't love this, but every time I track food, it requires me to drink more water. I eat less. I drink more water. It flushes me out and I'll have like three <laughs> monster trips to the <laughs> this is disgusting but I'll, I'll go to the bathroom uh number two at least three times that first day of tracking maybe even the second day after that and it just feels like a detox and all i did was eat less and drink more water and a lot of people just need that even though they are eating healthy food to begin with so think of it this way you guys does whatever you're eating even if, if it's in your hand at the time it's like an oreo or a, a whiskey sour or whatever you know uh tequila paloma which is like even more my style if that's in your hand at the time and it still keeps you on track for your overall goal and purpose and the joy and the fun or the whatever fulfillment you're getting out of that food item actually brings happiness to your life and it's still you're still on track for your goal most likely you're eating the healthiest possible diet for you because the stress that can come with just this long-term cut of any of certain food items that you enjoy can potentially outweigh it now i think people do need to toughen up in general like i'll just flat out say that when people tell me oh i just you know like i want to make sure i have a good relationship with food and i can't tell myself no like you should be able to tell yourself no you really should. It can't be, nothing in life can be a free for all if you want to control the steering wheel. Okay, so don't think that I'm saying, oh, you can't, you know, you want to be able to enjoy whatever, eat what you want. No, 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 no. Your feelings are not always correct, just like your taste buds and your cravings are not always correct. In fact, especially when you start tracking your food and you start making those changes, you'll realize how many deep-rooted emotional connections that you'll have with food, the triggers that come up. I've told about the story, I think it was on that episode 67 of the podcast, where I was driving down a street that I used to when I was younger, like, like a kid, and it had been a long time since I had been down this street, and I just started craving ice cream. And lo and behold, I put it together that, holy smokes, I only used to come down the street to go to 31 Flavors every Friday with my family. And like that's how wild, uh, that's how wild food cravings can be and how deep-rooted they can be. And so those are things that I, I want you to know I consider when I talk to people about food. And I really do understand the true joy that food can bring in your life, the community, 
the just the general like gathering and sharing of of an experience can really be around food or food can enhance it or drinks or whatever i agree with that um but you have to control the steering wheel so telling yourself no is without a doubt very important so i'll tell you that was a little bit of a rant i didn't expect to go on but this is really just talking about my food philosophy i love food <laughs> i uh but i want to control it i want to control my goal and have the steering wheel in my hands so really in my opinion you shouldn't look at one food as being healthy or unhealthy. You look at the overall purpose and direction you're going and are you or are you not on track? Be honest with yourself. Be hard on yourself. Toughen up a little bit. But we have to understand what food is. So you can have high quality foods that are still high calorie, but you can also have very high quality foods that are low calorie. Um, let me give you an example. So when we think of high quality foods, we think of whole foods, single ingredient foods, this is like fruits, vegetables, whole grains, healthy fats, and lean protein. Uh, some people like Matt Fitzgerald from the Endurance Diet includes dairy. Uh, I don't eat a ton of dairy. I eat a little bit, but I will say that when you think about just nourishing healthy food packed with micronutrients, which is all those vitamins and minerals that you pull from food, you think of just food that's grown from the ground, <laughs> like a potato, you know, <laughs> like uh, an avocado, a apple, a carrot, um, you know, hopefully a, uh, responsibly raised, uh, chunk of beef on your plate. You know what I mean? Like there's all these just beautiful, simple, healthy quality foods that truly nourish your body. Then we have, uh, and, oh, and again, they can be high calorie avocado, for example, olive oil, uh, or they could be low calorie, like a cucumber or spinach or whatever you want to talk about like that. Now there's high processed foods, with artificial ingredients and those can also be those are like our low quality foods so i, I said that backwards excuse me <laughs> we have low quality foods this is highly processed usually with hardly or artificial ingredients now highly processed food when you're basically trying to increase the shelf life of things things like sodium come up those are, you know it's funny because when you are a very active cyclist you can handle things like more sodium in general and i wouldn't say that you don't apply to all these rules, but it's good to keep in mind, you know, if your cracker has 40 ingredients in it, you, you can't logically think that it's going to nourish your body the same way that, um, like a potato would, you know, or just go through your system as cleanly and just be, I don't know, as healthy as, as, uh, as that single ingredient piece of food. Uh, but we think of ice cream, we think of candy, uh, I don't know, frozen pizza. This could be honestly a lot of the ride food that you would eat, which is like some goo, gel, uh, you know, block or gummy or uh, mix or whatever it might be. I'm really not thinking of one brand in particular, but a lot of times those are super processed, super artificial, and they have artificial ingredients, which, you know, people have shown to link to cancer. It's, it's interesting. I didn't pull up any studies on this today. We have some other coming up, but I was just talking to the owner of Cram Nutrition and Cram Sandwiches about artificial ingredients and how much, how unhealthy they are actually. And he has a lot of information owning a nutrition company. Those peanut butter and jellies are incredible. I highly recommend them, uh, especially on big ride days. So Cram Nutrition, shout out to you guys. <laughs> it starts with a K, K-R-A-M. Anyways. Uh, they did not tell me to do that, but, <laughs> but Austin, the owner is a young up and coming entrepreneur. He knows his stuff and 
he really pointed out the fact, even though they have the cleanest peanut butter and jellies you can get, he said, like, really, a lot of the artificial ingredient studies, specifically the one on aspartame, was kind of blown out of proportion because of the pure volume. Like, the, the amount that these rats were ingesting was so unbelievably high that not saying you couldn't ingest it as a human, but it'd be insanely difficult. This is like the, the wine study I've heard of where people, <laughs> they're like, wine has antioxidants. That's why I drink it. Or dark chocolate is so packed with antioxidants. Listen, it is, but really like the cost benefit on it does not line up. Like the whole wine thing, you know, for the wine and don't quote me on this, but this is kind of like an idea of what it was like. You would have to drink like two gallons of wine to get the same amount of antioxidants as a handful of blueberries or something like that. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just the stupidest comparison. And he was just saying like, man, artificial uh, aspartame in particular, um, it's sort of been blown out of proportion. Not to say there isn't truth behind the cancer causing effects, because I'm not saying that at all, but you gotta take some of this stuff with a grain of salt because a lot of times, even your beautiful health food that just loves the earth, they can manipulate studies to benefit their marketing. That's business. These people understand they need to make money to have a business and to feed their families. And they're not like, I wouldn't even say they're bending the truth, but they might be very narrowly focused on one area without the whole picture. And, and that is understandable. I don't blame anybody for doing that, but you have to know just cause there's like a little sunflower and a butterfly on the packaging and it says no artificial ingredients. Like they could be maybe doubling down on the fact of how bad artificial ingredients are to a point where it's almost not true, but maybe not quite. So just pay attention to the marketing. Don't be fooled by it. Now, that was a whole rant to basically tell you low quality foods can also be low calorie. They can also be very beneficial if you're trying to lose weight and curve your appetite. Now, think about it this way. If you go from eating fast food twice a day to eating whole foods as your main meals and then as your one like like blow off valve like i gotta get a little fix of sweet you have a diet lemonade or a diet soda but that's the compromise that's the change that you made then most likely you're still healthier than you were previously and you just you got to think about it that way like just because you started drinking diet soda to help curve your appetite because you're a little hungry because you're in a fat loss uh mode or you're in some kind of deficit maybe because you're in that deficit and you're hungry, you're trying to eat higher volume foods and you're eating four times the amount of vegetables. That's very, very realistic and something to consider. So I just wanted to point out high quality foods, the healthiest stuff with the most micro nutrition, like, <laughs> my, like so packed with micronutrients can still be high calorie and lead you off your goals. Same thing with low quality foods, obviously not super healthy, if you directly look at them, but you know, they can help keep you on track for the overall goal and potentially just a healthier all around diet. Um, both can be beneficial, you know, when you, if they support the larger purpose. Now it just goes back to the two examples of food. You know, there's the, everything you eat is either fighting cancer or feeding it. Or the one I really, I think everything I just said will back up is that there's no one food that is healthy or unhealthy. Hopefully that gives you a good understanding of where my head's at in regards to nutrition, just from a big 10,000 foot view, a general sense talking about it. I, I will admit that I've changed my ideology with nutrition over the years. I've tried stuff like crazy low fat diets. I've gone to a point where 
I wouldn't eat any artificial ingredients at all. And I thought that aspartame was going to kill you the second it entered your body. I have <laughs> eaten way too much in general and kind of worked my way to this point now where I'd like to think it's a very logical way to look at food. And it's not a overly tough view, but it's realistic in regards to getting what you want out of it, having control. But I, I get that there's nuance to it. I get that there's joy that comes from food. And anyways, let's actually talk about riding nutrition versus normal nutrition. I'm sorry I had to take you through all that to get here, but we made it. And it's going to make more sense because of it, I promise you. Now, when training, your body demands more energy than is required for day-to-day -day living. So we're going to compare a normal day of eating, which would basically be a day off for me. And I'm going to give you the percentage of carbs, protein and fat, how many grams. We're going to talk about protein in particular, give you a little rant. And then we're going to go into a very clear ride day example where I'm going to also tell you what trainer road workout I did and how I changed my nutrition for that specifically. So let's talk about a normal day of eating. Now, for me, if I'm going to start a body fat uh, loss, a, a deficit, <laughs> if I'm going to start a body fat loss, I'm trying to lose more than a single body fat. <laughs> I want to lose more than that. I'm going to actually be shredding down uh, leading into the holidays. Right now, I'm at 2,200 calories, which to be honest, since I upped my riding volume to four days a week from three days a week, this was actually like a year and a half ago. I noticed that the extra 200 calories worked well because initially my shred totals were 2,000 calories um, based off of all my basal metabolic rate numbers and my active metabolic rate, which again, go and listen to episode 67 if you want to know what that means. But those are just my baseline calories. So to give you an idea, I am, well, <laughs> I was going to say I'm 155 pounds. I'm actually, I was 158 yesterday. I'm 157 today. I already lost a pound thanks to the little detox I had on day one, uh, just that extra water, less food. But I crept up to 158 and I was like, holy smokes, this is not my weight. I got to be down at 155. And you guys, I know weight swings, but you have to honestly ask yourself, if your weight's higher than you want it to be, how have you been living? And I have been living like someone who's 158, maybe even heavier than that. And I don't think time had quite caught up with the extra calories I've been taking in and the extra low quality food. I'm just going to call it like it is. So I decided, you know what, usually in October I'll shred anyways, leading into the holidays because the weight gain in the holidays is almost inevitable. And that's just been my experience with it. I'm not saying that you have to gain weight during the holidays. I'm not encouraging it. I have had the tendency to do that. And most people do also. So October Pre-Halloween is a great time for you to get it in the gear, kind of like I'm doing now. So you, literally yesterday, now that I'm more recovered from the Everest ride, and I told myself, leading up to it, don't worry about uh, body fat loss. The week after, eat whatever you want, enjoy life, enjoy the victory of you know accomplishing that ride. But now, your boy's in a shred. So my normal weight is 155. Today I'm 157. I am 5'9". I am a 30-year-old male. And um, should I tell you anything more about myself? Uh, let's see, I graduated high school in uh, 2009 and uh, married to a beautiful wife. I have three kids. No, okay, so listen, um, <laughs> I'm 30 years old. Male, uh, 2,200 calories right now is enough for me to lose body fat. Puts me in like a 300 to 500 calorie deficit window daily. 
your total calories for a day are made up of three macronutrient categories. You have carbs, protein, and fat. Actually, a lot of people consider the fourth one to be alcohol now. If you do track alcohol on a tracking app like MyFitnessPal, you'll notice that it suspends the calories, but you won't see it change your macros. Sometimes things that have a lot of sugar in it, like, like wine, for example, could, be, could adjust your carbs slightly, but it, always, it won't always reflect. So just a heads up if you are tracking your food, a lot of people do count alcohol as the fourth macronutrient because your body doesn't use alcohol for energy. Again, we have an episode on alcohol that is really like painfully informative. But the three macronutrients are carbs, protein, and fat. Now, we're gonna look at the amount of grams of each one of those to make up that total calorie count that I had listed, which is the 2,200 calories. But you need to know that carbs and protein are four calories per gram, and fat is nine calories per gram. And which also gives you a really clear example of how like dense fat is in regards to like just calories you know, one tablespoon of olive oil, for example, is 120 calories. And that's hardly the amount of olive oil that you would use to cook, you know, uh, vegetables in or something like that. And again, these are the little tweaks you can make to your diet to actually get the results you want. When you think, oh my gosh, I don't know why I'm not losing weight. It could be because of things that minor. And again, it's not to make you paranoid. It's to make you informed so you can correct it. And so here's what my day-to-day looks like on a day where I'm not training. This is like my baseline of calories and my macro profile. Carbs would be 45% of my diet. So that'd be 248 grams in total. Protein is 30% of my diet, which would be 165 grams in total. And fat is 25% of my diet, which is 61 grams in total. Now, honestly, when I'm not trying to lose body fat, sometimes I'll drop my protein to about 25% and my up my fat to about 30% because it really does give you some more flexibility. You know, that right there is like the avocado on your omelet in the morning, or that could be a handful of nuts as a snack opposed to rice cakes or something like that. That, or, you know, uh, let's just say more lean protein or cheese, or I don't, I don't know, whatever it may be. But that little tweak is kind of nice sometimes when I'm just maintaining, but pro- adding extra protein into your diet and getting up to that one a gram per pound of body weight is really helpful in helping you lose weight for a few reasons. Now, this is my quick rant on protein because it's so underrated in the endurance community. Like I actually have people who seem like like they're afraid to eat too much protein, which I I really don't understand. You know, one gram per pound of body weight is on the higher side compared to a lot of endurance athletes. And that is not, that is so far from extreme. Like honestly, you guys, like if you really looked at a bodybuilder's diet, they're eating like 1.5 plus grams of protein per pound of body weight. You know, you'll have a guy who's like 170 pounds eating like 250 grams of protein. You know, it's bonkers. And and don't quote me on this exact number breakdown of the 1.5 grams and the, what I just said, 170 versus 250. But like, honestly, those are real people like pushing it to the limit. We're not doing that by any means. But the reason taking an extra protein helps during a diet is because it is not only great for muscle recovery, as you know, it's just so good for satiety. It makes you feel way more full than you kind of actually are. And it also just generally boosts your metabolism because your body has to work harder to digest the food, which results in more calories burned. This is like the thermal effect of food, TEF. And it's cool, but I looked at uh, some studies on this. People conservatively say it could be, you know, 80 to 100 calories more per day that you burn just by eating more protein. But a specific study said an average, you can, 
so he basically compared high protein diet to low protein diets in two different groups but it is kind of extreme on the low end the low end group only had five percent of their diet as protein which like i read that and that gives me anxiety i feel like i'm gonna die if i eat five percent of my total calories and protein that is nothing dude i could have two handfuls of dirt you know and probably get more protein than that that's disgusting oh who signs up for these trials man but um <laughs> you just turn into the most I would just be such a, a beta male with my pink shoes, um, which I already own, by the way. But I can't be losing that much muscle, 5% protein. Anyways, the high protein group is 25%. And that's like my normal diet on the low end. So not insane, in my opinion. Uh, but they found that the high protein group burned an average of 260 more calories per day. That is like 30 minutes of solid exercise, just so you know. If you wanted to get on a treadmill or something like that, or you get on a bike and you just ride for 30 minutes at like somewhat of a casual pace, that's 260 calories right there just by eating more protein. Again, that low-end group is very low, but there are people really eating like that low of protein. So if you're unsure, track your food and find out. Um, so yeah, again, it's extreme, but you get the point. Aim for 0.8 to 1 pound uh, or 1.1 grams per pound of body weight. If you want to be in that like safe zone for healthy protein, adequate muscle recovery, you're an athlete. You should be eating more protein because you're putting higher demands on your body than normal people. You're not a normal person. <laughs> you're a freak. Okay. You want to be a freak, <laughs> but, uh, eat more protein. It is like a win-win in regards to dieting, muscle recovery, everything. Just eat more protein. Uh, yeah, the people I think that give protein a bad rap like honestly the thing i have heard the most and you can let me know what you've heard people say about eating too much protein some people will say that it's like hard on your kidneys or liver or whatever again we you are not pushing the boundary if you're even saying that what i hear the most often though is that if you eat too much protein it turns into fat and that statement just makes me cringe so much because first off to eat that much of an excess of protein, it's so difficult to do because you get so full. It's also hard to actually learn the habits to get in that much protein. You have to be so intentional. You are not accidentally eating so much protein that your body can't process it and it's just excess calories, most likely. And, and the truth is, if you're eating that much protein, most likely you're getting all your excess fat, aka calories from carbs and fat that comes along with the protein that you're eating. It's like when a lot of people cut out meat from their diet and they're like, I feel so much better, but it's, is it the meat that, you know, they cut out or is it the all meat pizzas and the burgers they ate all the time and the tacos or whatever? Maybe if they just had leaner cuts of meat with vegetables and rice opposed to a fat burrito that's like dripping grease, they would feel just as good. And, you know, some people would argue even better. So it like, those are the conversations I've had with so many people over the years where I'm like, we have to be more logical than this, you guys. Like, really look at the root cause, you know? <laughs> um, anyways, that's a, kind of another little side rant for you. But that is basically like a normal day. So I have a day off. I'm going to be eating 2,200 calories. We're talking 45% carbs, 30% protein, 25% fat. Now, let's look at a day where I did sweet spot intervals. So I have my baseline in nutrition. Again, all those calories are made up of ideally whole foods. Um, you know, take a sip of water with me. I'm getting a little parched. 
Oh, that's nice. Um, ideally, you ate mostly whole foods as a part of your just general normal day of eating. You get into a day where you have some sweet spot intervals like I did. This is a trainer road workout. This is actually from August 19th. It's called Garabi, and it's a 92 TSS. It's 90-minute workout, uh, 1,250 calories that I burned on this workout. Now, when you look at this, there's a big difference in what the day is. Now, my meals on a normal day without training are very, very balanced. Like, I try not to have a meal that's too far off of the macros that I set for myself. Like, obviously, you can't make every meal perfect with the percentages of carbs, fat, and protein, like the way you want, but they should be pretty dang close. Even your snacks, you want to get them pretty dang close. And you will, I, I promise you, you will feel the best that way. Your energy will be the most level throughout the day if you do it that way. Some people like to save carbs for the end of the day to have a little treat at the end of the night. Like there is personal preference that you can have on it. But a normal day, my meals are going to be very much, like they're going to resemble what that macro breakdown is. Now a day where I ride, not even close, okay? This is where we get into the big differences, aka I eat so many more carbs. Now, you're gonna have to listen to this with some context. I'm doing this workout in the morning. I think I did it, uh, I wanna say like two hours after I woke up. A lot of times I'll wake up with my babies, I'll work a little bit, I'll eat a little food, and then I'll get on the bike. Uh, this is kind of like my Tuesday, Thursday routine. August 19th was a Thursday. So when I woke up, and this is the trippiest thing. I eat just like carbs, basically. A little fat, almost no protein. And even during the workout, like I gotta just tell you what these numbers are. So instead of a nice balanced meal, I woke up and I had an extra meal before this workout, which was oatmeal with peanut butter, pumpkin and maple syrup, sea salt and a little pumpkin spice. Beautiful, amazing. Uh, I think I also had some oat milk in my coffee, which again, you got to be accountable for it. Eight ounces of oat milk is 120 calories, mostly carbs, some good amount of fat in there. So again, it, it kind of plays toward this goal. But when I eat that, I'm like, wow, okay, it's a very, very high carb meal. So I think about 30 minutes later, I'm on the bike. I'm doing this workout that is a 1,250 calorie burn workout. Now, during that ride, half an hour after my just my oatmeal, I took in 99 grams of carbs, only one gram was protein, and I had zero grams of fat. So we're looking at almost 400 calories, and literally zero fat, one gram of protein, all of the rest of it was carbs. Honestly, that makes me very proud to say. I think on this ride, I had dates, and I had a drink mix, which was like a, a two-to-one glucose-to-fructose mix with some PNG electrolytes and some sea salt. It was like all mixed in. So now we're getting towards, it was about nine o'clock I was done with this workout, I believe, maybe, maybe a little earlier. And then I finished that. And if you looked at my macro breakdown, you guys, it, would, it was like 90% carbs that I had eaten for the entire day up to this point. That you would never, ever see that on a day where I wasn't doing a ride. And then post-workout, my meal was more balanced, way more high in protein. But the difference here even though the macro breakdown was more close to a regular meal that I would eat, it was just higher calorie. And this is me just trying to regain some of those calories and use them as much as possible for recovery immediately after the workout. 
Now, if I was to have a smaller meal around this time or like a normal meal, which to me, it's like between 400 and 600 calories if I'm in some kind of a calorie deficit. This meal was 700 calories. It was an egg scramble. And I, honestly, I looked back at this and I, uh, it was funny because I'm about to tell you what my macros were for the day, but my fat was like too high. And it was because it's egg scramble. I had like, I had butter and cheese and avocado in the same dish. And you just cannot do that if you're trying to control your fat content. So uh, long story short, the, the pre and during part of this ride was like 90% carbs. The second I had my post-workout meal, which was higher calorie, I reintroduced a lot of the protein that I had missed from those previous meals. However, at the end of this meal, I was still at like 60% carbs for the day, opposed to, you know, being at my 45% that I would be normally. Uh, you know, a, a lot of times, honestly, if I was, if I saw that macro number in the middle of a day where I wasn't doing a ride or some kind of workout, um, by the way, my numbers on my strength workout days, which I should clarify, are very, very close. I give myself like another couple hundred calories only if I feel like I need it on the strength workout days because my strength workouts burn like around 500 calories. You know, it's a lot different than 1,250. So I can get by usually with a little deficit. I make sure my protein's still high. Um, but my day off and like my rest and recovery day is not very different than my strength training days, which is twice a week. The biggest changes I have are on these ride days. So if I saw that, like, you know, if I was came into lunchtime or something with, and I saw that I had eaten 65% protein or excuse me, 65% carbs for that day, I'd be kind of panicked. Cause I'd be like, dang, now I'm pretty much eating veggies and, and lean protein for dinner. Like I have to limit my carbs so much to catch up later in the day. But on a ride day, this would very much make sense. Now, just so you know, you want to primarily eat back the calories that you burn from a ride in carbohydrates because that's mostly the energy that you use during the ride. However, it's difficult to do that unless you are just going to eat gummy bears <laughs> or more drink mix, which again, I probably wouldn't recommend that either because you can get in so many more micronutrients by having some brown rice or the potatoes or you know, you have this mixture of food and you also can get in more protein that way as well. So don't feel like you have to get all the calories burnt back in carbs. There are some people that do it. I've tried to do it. I think it's kind of miserable. I'd rather just eat more filling foods with more nutrition. But again, I don't think one or another, I, I can't honestly tell you if there's a, a physiological benefit to doing one more than the other. I, I'm not sure, but my gut tells me it's okay to eat some normal food. Uh, in fact, when they tracked Tour de France riders, I think it was the, I want to say it was like the, no, no, it wasn't. It was uh, Team Sky. I almost said Movistar. It was Team Sky. They tracked them and they their average protein during the Tour de France was like 225 grams per day, which is way more than one gram uh, per pound of body weight for those guys, but it's only because, you know, pasta has protein in it. Oatmeal does have protein in it and they're eating 7,000 calories each day. And inherently you just get more protein because you're getting it along with the carbs from the whole grain sources and all that stuff. So keep that in mind. Like it's okay that your protein numbers come up too, your fat numbers come too, but just know most of it really should be from carbohydrate, just like it would be if you did eat a big bowl of pasta. So I hope that kind of takes some confusion away from how to replace the calories. But you should also know that your macro numbers, if you are tracking, which you should be, they're going to be just messed up throughout the rest of the day. In fact, I ended my day 
uh, a little bit lower on carbs than, than typical because usually it's around 60%. But, <laughs> you know, this day was also funny because my protein was a little lower than I'd want it to be. But I ended the day at 55% carbs. This was 404 grams of carbohydrates opposed to my 248 from earlier. So we're talking about over, you know, 156, I think if my math's right, grams more of just carbohydrate. I had 19% protein, 140 grams, which eh, pathetic. I had too much fat in my omelet. <laughs> I should have had another egg white. Uh, and then my fat was 26%, 86 grams, which is more than the 61 grams. Uh, but the best, the, the best example is really the carbohydrate here. You can just see those numbers came up a ton. And what it meant was that I went off of my normal eating plan, AKA I couldn't stick to my name, same carb, fat, and protein ratio that I would normally do. And that's okay. I did things correctly uh, with the exception on the specific day of maybe not getting as much protein as I should. I still got 140 grams in, um, which you know obviously is solid, but um, really if I'm going for weight loss, which in fact at this time I wasn't, you know, would be ideal. Um, so yeah, the biggest difference in this day, we're talking about that extra meal of oatmeal before, primarily, almost completely carbohydrates during, and then post-ride meal, more calories, but way more balanced. Now, this takes me to my next point, which is losing body fat while maintaining performance. The biggest excuse everyone uses for not prioritizing fat loss when maybe they should in regards to low-hanging fruit logic, you know, what's the easiest place they can make a gain? If it's losing weight and they say they're not doing it because they're going to lose strength, it is such a misstep. And I, it feels like just a big fat excuse because maybe they don't want to try. Maybe they have tried, but they haven't followed the correct steps. And those are the people that I can sympathize with a little bit more. Or if you've had poor coaching in regards to dieting and they haven't encouraged you to fuel your workouts correctly, then you know, that really does suck. But if you're someone who's unwilling to try, but you're still going to complain about maybe losing weight or the timing of it, because you don't want to lose your performance, like you have to know this is not always the case. In fact, a lot of people feel, feel and perform better when in a deficit, because tracking allows you to get so close to your actual energy needs. And if you use the example that I just showed you from earlier, front loading your workouts and with carbs and eating almost completely carbs during your workouts, you can feel, feel very strong during your workouts, even if you're in a fat loss phase. The only thing you have to expect is to really like reach for carbs sooner than you maybe would without. If you come in super topped off on carbohydrate, you might go a full hour not feeling like you need to eat. But if you come in, you are in a deficit, you can tell you have food on hand, thankfully, but you might be 20 minutes into a workout already reaching for food. And that's totally okay because you're feeling the work at the time that you need it. And when your workout's done, after that post-workout meal that's maybe a little bit higher calorie than normal, you can go back to your normal day-to-day -day eating and in the day in a deficit and go to bed a little bit hungry, which is probably, I, I think, the most perfect advice if you, you know, outside of just track, excuse me, outside of just tracking your food, going to bed a little bit hungry is the answer for a lot of people because so many people overeat at night. And, you know, unless you just ate absolute garbage throughout the entire day, most likely you'll be in a calorie deficit at that point. But if you're tracking and you're feeling your workout and your workouts early in the day, you're almost for sure going to still go to bed a little bit hungry, which probably means that you're on track, but you will have had the fuel when you needed it and performed when you needed it. So, with that being said, 
I also wouldn't expect for you to make major strength gains. And it really does depend on where you're at in your fitness journey, I guess, or your riding experience. Like the newer you are to training and to cycling and the more weight you have to lose, the, the more likely it is that you're gonna feel better and perform better through a deficit because you're getting lighter, you're making like physiological changes through the training that are so major in the beginning that you just don't get with years and years under your belt. You know, gains become more marginal. And also you can get to a point with a lot of people where just trying to maintain your fitness level is kind of the goal. And so when you're that person, I would not expect to make gains. Again, you don't have to lose fitness. You don't have to feel terrible. A lot of people, myself included, like I've had, when I'm in a deficit, there's probably going to be a day where you feel, feel a little off, you feel low energy. That is going to be normal. But most of my workouts, just speaking from experience, when I'm feeling correctly, have been great because I'm like, you know, whoa, I'm, you know, five pounds lighter. I'm 10 pounds lighter. I feel tight. My, my system's working good. I'm super hydrated because, you know, uh, I'm just drinking more water at night to stay full. Like there's all these little compounding things that add up that do make you feel better. I'm sleeping because I have more of a clear head because maybe I'm having less alcohol or less carbs at night. I'm less puffy. Like there are these things besides just pure glycogen stores that do make you feel better on the bike and perform. Uh, but again, if you are at like a higher fitness level, I wouldn't expect, or, or you're at a lower body fat, I just, I wouldn't expect to feel like, like perform that much higher. I wouldn't expect your FTP to go up at this time. It, it, you know, the, to say it really simply, I think that's a reasonable expectation. Again, you don't have to feel terrible. You don't have to be weak, <laughs> but also don't come into it focus on getting stronger. Like you should probably look at this like, okay, I really am going to be focused on fat loss and I'm going to do everything I can to maintain my fitness level. Uh, and once I'm at the weight or the body fat percentage that I want to be at, that is when I will focus on my performance. I will bring back in some extra calories. My glycogen stores will be more topped off and I'll be, you know, even that much more ready to make gains at a new lighter weight. That's the real process you want to go through. Uh, so Keep that in mind. I think that's a very realistic way to look at it. And again, I'm not saying you're going to feel great every single workout, but I can't hear that excuse because almost everybody I talk to that implements this just generally feels better. Maybe you're off a little bit here and there, but generally they feel better. Now, all I want to add is that if you're unsure if you should really target your fat loss or not, I'll just tell you if you are above 25% body fat as a male, I think you should definitely make this a priority because you'll probably get more results performance wise and just way you feel in, in like life in general by implementing these fat loss habits and target like making that your primary goal uh, for women if you're above 35 percent i would probably consider the same thing again that's just because this is like low hanging fruit you know like it's the easiest thing to, not easiest but it's the most obvious thing to work on before you start splitting hairs with all these cool, like different training zones and specific workouts or whatever you're doing. So just kind of keep that in mind. That is what I would recommend. Now, I hope that gives you a very clear understanding of how you can fuel your workouts, like everyone suggests, and also maintain your weight or even be in a calorie deficit while you're training and to serve both purposes and be on track with your goals. 
they're absolutely possible to do at the same time, but I do understand why it's such a confusing topic. You don't normally want to eat that many carbs when you're not riding. When you're riding, you want all the carbs, and that is like the biggest difference. So I hope that gives you some clarity in not only how you can implement that, uh, but also just a general understanding of, wow, you know, maybe I should eat uh, more balanced off of the bike when I'm not training and when I'm on the bike, it is okay to grab a handful of candy because right now this serves the biggest purpose and the biggest goal and I'm putting these demands on my body that requires a fuel that is not normal for my day to day. That's totally okay. Like, in fact, it's a great time to maybe have those splurges. I'll tell you right now, I'm so excited for candy corn. My wife got me hooked on that over the years. I used to hate this stuff and now it's like my favorite thing ever. Last year, I ate it almost every single ride. <laughs> in fact, candy corn and dates as a combo, if you do a little, put those in a packet together, the flavor profile is out of control, just sugar, sugar, sugar. Okay, let's talk about what your other options are <laughs> before I get too excited. I can't wait, dude. She just came home with a bag of candy corn. It is on. Um, and again, I can fully enjoy that candy corn knowing it serves the greater purpose of fueling my workouts. It's pretty dang cool. Um, now, if you don't want to track, I want to tell you what you're missing out on, but what another option is for you. No matter how intuitive you are with your nutrition, tracking will help you understand even further. We kind of talked about this already, but when you correlate how you feel with the numbers, you really have some real information. And I'll tell you with your diet, especially knowledge is power. You want to feel like you have the steering wheel. You want to feel in control. And this is without a doubt why I've been able to not only have that feeling with nutrition in, in a general sense, but also how I've been able to progress my riding nutrition so fast is because I understand the numbers. In the last couple of years since really getting into road riding and putting these different demands on my body, you know, I, I used to be horrible with my ride nutrition. I would, <laughs> I would bring a cliff bar on a 50 mile road ride and eat it at the two and a half hour marker when I'm about to be bonked. And then I'd go rush to a gas station, get a Coke and another thing. And then my stomach hurts and then yada, yada. I've gone from that to eating a little bit every hour, like 20 grams of carbs to now eating on average, like 75 grams of carbs per hour, uh, fueling my workouts and just doing a 20 hour ride where I had zero cramping, zero issues. And it was all because of understanding macronutrients and not being surprised when I have to like read a label or interpret numbers or anything like that. Um, and then you also will learn things like fiber content and how that can make you feel a certain type of way. And then your sodium makes more sense. So this is why tracking is so good for cyclists. It's not just to clearly differentiate between the energy energy needs on the bike and off the bike it's also to help you look at the food that you're consuming on the bike and make the best choice even if you're on a brand that you're not using or you have to go to a grass gas station and grab some random thing that you've never eaten before if you can look at the macro profile and really understand what energy is in that food there's a good chance that it's gonna you're gonna make the better choice versus kind of just like grabbing something that is honestly the difference it could and and I'm telling you that because I've lived it also. Now, here's the deal. If tracking isn't for you, that's totally okay. Um, I, I don't want to make you feel like you're less of a person. That's definitely not the truth. But here's the reality. You can't expect to have complete clarity and specific control over your results. And this could be splitting hairs or it could be detrimental. That's kind of up to you. What I mean is it could be the difference between, you know, 
being insanely fit and healthy and in shape and being just ridiculously shredded again most people just want to look super healthy and in shape or it could be the difference of you never getting to the weight that you want uh, which is detrimental which is uh you know i, I don't wish that on anybody I, I know how tormenting this process is for people um so i want the best for everyone and i've just seen the results with tracking because of the clarity be more and more successful over the years um, or, or just the higher number of people get it you know meal plans don't work you can't eat the same food every single day I've tried that whole thing too it's just it's a joke so if you don't track you have to understand that it comes with a lack of clarity however there are other options uh, you could just go see a nutritionist on a regular basis. It's a little bit more expensive, but this is someone that could keep you accountable, give you a real plan, help you make these changes as you progress um, or regress, hopefully not. But there's also books like The Endurance Diet by Matt, Matt Fitzgerald. And this guy basically has a different outlook on nutrition. It's all about diet quality, kind of like we talked about earlier. I mentioned that he includes dairy into his, but he created a system called the diet quality score, which is like a tracking app you can use. But again, it's still tracking. You just don't have to weigh and measure anything. So, I mean, it's a little bit easier. Um, I think once you learn the system, it can be like quick because you'll have a total tally of maybe up to like 25 in total throughout the day so each food has a point you add or subtract it's it's pretty dang simple and i would say it's somewhat close to weight watchers but it doesn't have to do with calories and it, again if you're someone who struggles with the idea of calories or if they're very like triggering and it's a very emotional topic the dqs score could be an option for you so you can look into that so endurance diet by matt fitzgerald really good book regardless and it's a very interesting eating philosophy it actually really made me uh kind of keep my diet quality more in check even than i was before um because i yeah whatever i won't get into it but <laughs> go and check that out uh, and that's pretty much it you guys if you have questions feel free to shoot me an email you can reach out to me um, i hope to support you in it and if anything, I just want to tell you to start moving forward. If you want something, go freaking get it. Welcome to Weekly Thoughts with Derek. Now, this is a very on-brand Weekly Thoughts because we're going to talk about bikes and strength training and recovery, food tracking on the personal side, family dynamics, but we're going to keep it tidy. We're going to keep it short. I just want to give you an update on what I've been doing this last week. So one of the big things was going up to North Star this weekend with my family. My buddy Chaz invited my whole family to come basically crash his family vacation. They had a big enough room, thankfully, to take us in. But, you know, him and his wife and his daughter were sharing this big room at North Star. And then I bring my three, like, psychopath kids and my wife, who thankfully keeps us all alive, there and it just it's so wild and then we actually met our buddies jonathan lee from trainer road who a lot of you guys know and his wife and son and we all met for pizza at north star it was amazing we had a blast uh just walked around let the kids run on the little magic carpet thing from the winter and it was good to just kind of catch up and hang out off the bike i i think a lot of you know how that is when you have your friends that you constantly see on rides and when you do something that's off the bike you're like whoa we can actually talk <laughs> these conversations we try to have when we're riding are a lot harder when we're riding so it's it's cool to just connect on more levels than bikes you know and so that was long overdue it got canceled a couple times because of the fires and my eversting location switches but that got to happen and 
even though it's a complete whirlwind taking your family up overnight it is worth it it's just exhausting like i had so much fun and so did my wife but we came back insanely tired just from this one night trip but you know you're taking like two seven-month-old twins and uh not even two and a half year old toddler out of their home with the conveniences of even their own rooms and this and that to all being in one room i'm sharing a bed with my toddler who's like kicking me in the face all night in fact i almost peed the bed because i'm laying there and apparently i had to go but he like lays on top of me right on my bladder and i woke up being like whoa i gotta pee and then he just and i fell back asleep he fell back asleep and i woke up with a foot in my face it was just not a great night and then we got to ride the next morning which is what i really wanted to talk about but i guess i just had to bring up these dynamics of like family trips where I've, I've talked to other people about it, but they say when you take your family on vacation, it's like, how, how do they put it? It's a trip. And when you go without your kids, it's actual vacation. <laughs> like going on a trip with your family is like the same work you do on a day-to-day basis with young kids, but you're just in a different location, new experiences. It's fun. It's worth it, but it's a lot of work. And it can be very frustrating very quick. Like, I'll tell you that much. You got to, like, keep perspective of, like, oh, wow, I'm in Tahoe for the, the, the night. You know, this is amazing. You can't just think, these kids have been screaming in the car for an hour. Like, you can't think about that. <laughs> but that is the reality sometimes. And I can't even imagine taking them all on a plane right now. Uh, kudos to anyone that's had a similar child situation getting on planes. That terrifies me. Uh, I would have so much anxiety (laughs) and I'm sure anyone on our flight would see us walking in and just be like horrified, but you know, it's worth it. It's just, it's so busy. And you know, it's a weird thing because when I get to go ride on these trips, which a lot of you probably experience, you want to take your bike to these new places, or even if it's just a local spot, like, like we went to, you know, we're Normally I'd have to drive an hour and a half to get to the trails that we rode and we wake up and we go out the front door. So it's a no brainer that I wanna fit a ride in, but it also means my wife's working overtime and she never really gets the opportunity to have like some time to do whatever she wants. But on the same, like on the same side, although I'm riding, it's also still tiring. Like it's the thing I choose to do, but it's also exhausting. So you are scrambling kind of crazy getting the family together out the door so you can go ride then you go ride you know i like to ride hard so does Chaz. thankfully we went and did that and then you immediately come back and you want to relieve like your wife from all the work but then you're showering and then you're watching like the kids in full dad mode and all of a sudden you're exhausted because you haven't rested at all but that's just and then you just got to keep it rolling (laughs) like that is that is really how my life goes in general which again it's okay um but it's funny, I was just talking to my mom about it. I'm like, it's just, it, it's so relentless, you know? It's, uh, it, it's very tiring and very demanding right now, but uh, we did get to go on this ride. And the thing that was so special about this ride was that I got to do my first proper cross-country ride. I was on a Specialized Epic Pro, uh, not the Evo. So I gave the Evo back after trying that out. It was really sick, but I wanted to try a proper XC race bike. So I was rocking Lycra. I even had a high post on this sucker no dropper and we went out for a proper xc ride and it was so fun just like riding these trails in north star that i've ridden but we were on the smoother trails than normal obviously and just had a really fun loop put together and it's cool going out with Chaz because he's very experienced on the ro- on the uh, xc bike um in fact when i first started road riding he kind of showed me the ropes over there and just helped me 
I guess, get up to speed way faster than I would have. Like, he improved my learning curve a ton. And also on this XC ride, like, he goes out and he rides hard, and I get to watch and see what he does and how he does it because it's so different. And it just felt like a perfect fit for where I'm at uh, with my own interest with riding because I've been loving road, road riding, and I've been loving – obviously i've always loved trail riding but i've been leaning more toward the endurance side of it so going out on a proper xc ride it just felt right <laughs> like there was one point where i had such a big smile on my face and i realized i was like oh my gosh i've been smiling like for five minutes straight <laughs> and i haven't had that moment in a while on a bike so that was really really fun and i'm just kind of uh i'm kind of hooked on the whole xc thing i hope i get to keep this bike for a little bit longer and you know maybe do some racing on it this winter we'll see uh, but I have some, uh, my, some plans and goals like alongside of my fitness that I might want to direct toward that style of riding. Cause, uh, it just really like really feels like a perfect fit for me right now on a lot of different levels. Also, I want to say that I did have a high post and when we came down this one trail flame out, that's in the North star bike park, it's a black diamond trail, but definitely one of the more mellow black diamond trails. And it's got this optional like ladder drops where I think there's three different ones. There's one that's kind of like a jump. There's a small drop and a bigger drop. Well, we stopped to get video because of course I got to get some content while we're out there. And I wanted to hit the bigger drop. It's literally where you would like hit the drop to where you actually land. It's probably about five or six feet vertical. And, you know, with a high post on that bike, like I really had to look at it for a second and be like, am I just going to go over the bars because I can't get back far enough? Like what's going to happen? Uh, there's also a weird tree pinch before it that's supposed to be a speed check, and I think it's actually, it actually slows you down too much. But anyways, uh, I ended up stopping for this drop. Chaz pulls out his phone to video me, and it got really busy on the trail right there for a second. A bunch of dudes came by who, like, guys were riding the bike park, you know, downhill bikes, long travel enduro bikes, a lot of body armor, a lot of gear, and kind of what you'd expect. And I know, like, no one has to tell me that I look like the person who's out of place there, but what cracks me up is that these guys roll by Chaz and they were like, oh, sick Lycra, and like making comments like that. And I, I was the only person to hit the big drop. And the thing is, if you're not going to be, if, you know, if you're going to be kind of a punk on the trails, like being good doesn't justify that. Like that's not like, uh, it doesn't, it's not your free pass to just say whatever you want to people. In my opinion, it's more of a responsibility to be cool to people uh, you know, especially people who look out of place or new or to the sport or whatever. Um, you know, if you're like really young, I get it. Like, but especially like, it's not cool to make fun of people. I've always been a big anti-bully guy, but like, I have definitely sat on the chairlift and like yelled and screamed at people. And like, it's fun. I, I get it. Like, it's hilarious. But at the same time, when you're a full grown adult making fun of another full grown adult, but that dude you're making fun of is actually it's like schooling you on the bike. <laughs> like what is even happening there? It's just such a funny thing. And I don't know. I just had to bring up that point because it was a really interesting like role reversal. You know, like I've been on the gravity side of the sport for so long that it's interesting to, to really see how different the cultures are and the, the mentality, especially, you know, when you go as far as road. But like even on the mountainside, when you're full gravity, dude, and you see a guy in like full XC get up, you think they look kind of whack. And then vice versa, even myself, who's been the gravity guy, was looking at these guys and I was like, honestly, putting on all that gear, sitting on the chairlift sounds very unappealing right now. Like I was stoked to just be in my like efficient, comfortable gear, climbing to the top of the mountain. Like that's how I genuinely would have rather spent my time that day. So it is a very interesting perspective, but I just, I don't know. <laughs> it cracked me up that these dudes were making fun of us for being in Lycra, but 
they wouldn't even hit the big drop. Anyways, someone wanted me to compare the Epic to the Epic Evo. And I thought that was a pretty good idea. Basically, what I would say, and I've had a few questions since posting that I rode the Epic, if someone should get the Epic or the Epic Evo. Here's exactly what I would recommend. If you're going to race cross-country, you should definitely get the Epic. It's built for racing, and when you get on that bike, you understand why. Now, what Chaz does, because it's his only mountain bike, is he just put a dropper on it, and he has the option to run his dropper, and which he just leaves on like 90% of the time. And if there's a race he does where not having the dropper could be an advantage because of the weight savings, like I know some people did that at National Champs this year, then he will just swap it. And so it's an extra little expenditure for sure. I mean, if you're putting an access seat post on, that's an easy swap, no cables, but you're looking at, what, 800 bucks or something like that. So I understand it's not like the easiest thing to uh, digest. It's like, yeah, it's expensive, but if you are going to XC race, like you should get the proper XC race bike. Now, take a sip of water with me because I'm feeling a little parched. Here we go. Now, the thing with the Epic Evo is that you could absolutely go race on it. In fact... I have friends who have raced on it, uh, my buddy Cody Kaiser, who I'm thinking of, and won XC races, and he just has, I think he has a separate wheel set with lighter tires for XC racing and just full-on XC riding that he puts on it, and then when he goes trail riding on his Epic Evo, he has like a more aggressive wheel set with more aggressive tires, and he said that that swap makes a huge difference, and it makes sense to me that it would. Now, there are different changes you could do to your Epic Evo to make it more trail or more uh, XC, but the Epic Evo definitely rides more like a really fun, playful XC bike than more like a, a light and fast trail bike, in my opinion. Like if you want a light, poppy, playful trail bike, get a stump jumper, like get something that's like 130 mil travel rear, maybe even 120, but still want, you want those angles and you still want to be able to like, you know, ride gravity really, really well. And it's not that you can't on the Evo, but there are some obvious differences in body position that is more comparable to XC, in my opinion. So I would just say, if you aren't concerned about being competitive with racing, maybe you dabble in racing, and maybe you do have a spare wheel set and parts to get on your Epic Evo and go win races like Cody Kaiser does, you can do it. But that's the bike for you if you really just want an overall trail riding experience. The Epic is like more focused on just racing, and I think that's kind of what you have to weigh out and i'll tell you dude that epic really ripped on the downhill i have like a 70 mil stem on it so not aggressive um and again if i didn't have a dropper it would have been that much better on the downhill so it was rad um and the brain works insane like i just got to point out if you're familiar with the brain on the rock shocks that comes with the epic it's basically like they're they're like self lockout uh, pedal efficiency feature. <laughs> How, what's a better way to describe that? I, I don't really know what to say, but it's weird because when you push on the fork specifically, it doesn't really feel good in my opinion in like the parking lot, but as soon as you start riding it, it feels insane. The, it's such a smooth ride. It's like, it's very, very, very supple off the top, like incredibly supple off the top. I couldn't believe how smooth it was on the, on the climbs we did and the fire roads and flat sections. But when you get on the gas, or you stand and pedal, you can feel the bike stiffen and get more efficient. But then again, when you do start hitting rough stuff, it kind of opens up like a normal bike. So uh, there's a couple times I could kind of feel the, the glass break feel a little bit, but not really. Um, and even when I hit that drop, I was amazed with how the bike absorbed the landing. So pretty sick bike, man. I mean, <laughs> bikes are just so freaking cool now. It's insane. 
Um, and I'll tell you that ride in particular really made me want to food track. And it's kind of what spurred this whole podcast because I felt freaking terrible on that ride that morning, partially because of the sleep, but a lot of it was like the night before and even week leading up to it. Like through Everest, I told myself, don't worry about, you know, food. In fact, you should maybe eat a little bit more than normal to get through this ride. Make sure you're carved up, make sure you recover proper. Um, but yeah, even like the night before I'm having like multiple different kinds of mixed drinks and walking around with pizza and I'm eating candy or caramel corn before bed. And, you know, I wake up and I just, I felt gross and I, you know, the altitude got to me, whatever. I was still feeling tired from Everest. There's all these excuses I can give you that are legit, but it was just the first time in a while I was like, you know, I feel kind of gross. Like, I feel like I need a clean out. And that's what inspired me to start this week. Like I was literally diet starts Monday guy and just woke up yesterday and I was like, you know what? I need to food track. Like I need to step my game up, take it to the next level and get feeling and get the mindset back that I want. And remember guys, a lot of times motivation follows action. Even for me, like you have to take action first for your motivation to kind of catch up. And even after a day of it, I feel so much more focused and on track to where I want to be. Um, it's crazy how just tracking your food can do that. But yeah, it's uh, it was the sign that I needed that I'm like, okay, you feel disgusting. Like at one point I wanted to tell Chaz to slow down, which wouldn't be that big of a deal because he's a super fast rider. But like, <laughs> like usually I don't feel that way. Like, like Chaz can dust me anytime he wants, but like at the same time, like usually I like the challenge. I usually don't think about stopping or backing off. Um, in these types of rides, but I was really considering it multiple times. Cause I was like, I just feel disgusting. And that's when I was like, dude, I need to feel better. I, I am better than this, you know? So that's what brought it up. And that was the whole inspiration, but kind of behind doing this podcast. And I'll tell you, even though I had a horrendous night's sleep last night with three sick kids, um, <laughs> I, I felt better this morning than I have previously all week on the bike, which I think just means that I'm starting to actually recover from this Everest thing. Uh, when I was done with the Everest ride, I came into the next week. Um, two days later, I was already spinning and I came into the next week on my normal training schedule, which is four days of riding and two days of total body strength training. And I just kept the intensity low on everything, but I kept the volume about the same as I would normally do. And I'll be honest, like it was right on the edge of feeling like I was doing too much to be honest, because I knew my energy wasn't there, but I also was curious about how I would feel. I've never experienced something to this extent. And the truth is I just, I, I started getting my body back, but I didn't have that real intensity. Adding the altitude and like the gross food for a couple of days, like did not help either uh, and poor night's sleep. But I think really the fatigue from Everesting, you just, you just generally feel weak. It's pretty unreal. And one thing I didn't bring up by the way, in the last podcast was like how I couldn't even pour my coffee on my right arm the next morning, excuse me, two days morning, two days after the Everesting ride, because like my wrist was so inflamed and sore and I was so weak. It was really weird. Anyways, I feel like I'm recovering. It's been a really cool week and I'm just excited to premiere this video and move forward with everything we got going on. And, and honestly, just getting back into day-to-day -day operations of dialed health, because you know, I, I bring it up frequently, but I hate missing emails. I hate missing anything, <laughs> any form of touch point of communication that I can drop the ball on when projects get too busy. 
is something I really don't like. And uh, it's, it's just another big focus for us moving forward. So I'm excited to get back into the normal routine things and looking forward to just getting light and then getting strong. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Dialed Health Podcast. If you are enjoying it, there's two things you can do to really help us out. It makes a huge difference. It only takes a minute or two. The first thing you could do is give us five stars on the Apple Podcast app and also just write a positive comment, say you're enjoying the episode. Anything positive honestly works. I'm not picky. (laughs) The second thing you can do is to screenshot that you're listening to the episode and post it to your social media. Instagram stories is a perfect place to do this and tag Dialed Health. Not only will I be able to repost it, but it also shows your friends that you're listening and really helps with the growth of the podcast. Now, you can also go to dialedhealth.com and get a membership. Without a doubt, that'd be the most supportive thing you can do. And hopefully you can implement some strength training into your weekly routine and get the benefits of it and have the best rides possible. Thank you so much for the support. I hope you have an incredible week. We will see you next Wednesday.